Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org or to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're considering what Jesus taught about salvation, and here's what we've learned. Jesus taught that to be saved was to be brought from danger into safety. Sin brings destruction on our lives, and Jesus, in saving us, negates the destruction that sin would bring upon us. Jesus also taught that salvation was attended by a change in the condition of the one he saved. We come by salvation through faith alone, but in gaining that salvation, we blossom in works of praise and worship to our Savior. Finally today, we consider that Christ's work of salvation brings him near to sinners and makes him their friend, sinners just like us. Here's the third thing I want you to see here. This is more, not necessarily what Jesus taught about salvation, but what Jesus mirrored in his teaching about salvation. It's this. This saving work of Jesus brought him near to sinners and made him their friends. This, by the way, was the accusation that was brought upon Jesus all the time. He was accused of hanging out with a low crowd, of not being discerning about those that he gathered around him. The thing that came to Simon's mind when that sinful woman came in and began to touch the Lord Jesus' feet and wash his feet was, how can this man be a prophet of God? Doesn't he know this woman is a sinner? How can he let her get so near to him and touch him and... I want you to take your Bibles to Luke chapter 14 for a moment. We were there uh, in Luke chapter 15. We read it as our scripture reading. I want you to go to the very last words in Luke chapter 14. It's a brilliant observation that was put together by G. Campbell Morgan in his book, The Teaching of Christ. He takes us to the very last words of Luke chapter 14. He reminds us that when we read our Bibles, we sometimes just need to get the chapter headings out of the way. We need to go on to the next verse without having to break. And he shows us what the last word in chapter 14 of the Lord Jesus. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear. And then the first words of chapter 15 are this. Then drew near to him tax collectors and sinners to hear him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And then he shows us what the Pharisees were saying. The Pharisees and the scribes murmuring, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. He receives them and he eats with them. And then based upon that, the Lord Jesus begins to say a series of parables to demonstrate that God's heart is for people who are lost in their sin. He shares the story of the lost sheep. He shares the story of the lost coin. He shares the story of the lost son. And in it, you see kind of a Trinitarian formula. The son, Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd who seeks out to find the lost sheep. The Holy Spirit is that sweeping motion. He's, it's the woman who has lost her coin that's searching for a coin and finds it and it rejoices when she finds her lost coin. It's Father God who longs for and looks for those who have wandered from him and waits for their return and receives them gladly and embraces them to himself. And each one of these show a condition of God's loving, longing search for lost people and no matter how sinful they are. And of course, the prodigal son sets up the picture of sin and the sinfulness of these individuals. And yet the father longs for them. You go on to read actually the very next chapters. Read chapter 16, read chapter 17, and you'll see that in, in these accounts, and even in chapter 18, you'll see in these accounts that what's highlighted is the Lord's presence and pursuit and touch upon those who've been rejected as sinful and broken and defiled. 
And finally, the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 18 declares what he's gonna do in this loving pursuit and friendship for sinners. He says in chapter 18, Behold, I'm going up to Jerusalem, in verse 31. Behold, I'm going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man are going to be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, and he will be insulted, and he will be spit upon, and they will scourge him and kill him, and on the third day he'll rise again from the dead. And The Lord Jesus is basically teaching his disciples what it is that he's going to do in the extremities that he's going to go to in the heights of suffering he's going to go to in his search to retrieve and bring to himself and be a friend to lost sinners. And in verse 19, the Lord Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem one last time. He's in a procession, a parade of people that are following him because they want to be in the presence of a great rabbi going up for the Passover feast. But this Passover feast, the Lord Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem and there it is that these things that he says are going to take place are fulfilled. He is mocked and he is scourged and he is spat upon and he is crucified. But on his way up to go to Jerusalem as the intensity and the weight of what lies before him is coming down upon him, for one last time the Lord Jesus turns and he's distracted by one man who's climbed up into a tree to see what's going on and who's passing by. And Christ one more time expresses his mission to save lost people and one more time shows himself, makes himself a friend of sinners. And I shouldn't say one last time. Even on the cross he turns to the thief that's dying on the cross who says, remember me when you come into your kingdom the Lord Jesus says, this day you're going to be with me in paradise. But here on the way to the cross, he stops. He goes to the base of the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down. I have to go to your house today. He goes into Zacchaeus' house and he demonstrates himself to be his friend. Let me give you a conclusion. Just three things here. Three short paragraphs. The first one is this. If you've been saved, it's because Christ sought you out, found you as a sinner, and befriended you. He met you with an offer of rescue and you received it by faith and at that moment he set in motion a work in your life negating sin. The first thing he did is he forgave you of its penalty and then he released you from its condemnation and then because you've been forgiven and released from its condemnation he restored you into a relationship with God because sin breaks your relationship with God. Then after having done that, he began to work inside of you to present the power of that salvation, helping you to step forward in that salvation to find victory over sin. And he began to work through your life to push back the expression of sin that kind of remains and roils in your flesh and that surrounds us in our world so that you could live and triumph it over it. That's his sanctifying work and that's going on right now. And he's also pledged in his saving work upon your life to one day rescue you from not only its power but its presence. There's an hour coming when you will be brought into the full completion of salvation. You'll be receiving a glorified body and you'll be lifted to the glorified heights that God has planned for you. And you'll rise to live and rule and rejoice with the Lord Jesus forever and ever, completely saved and secured in heaven forever. But all along the way, Jesus has been your friend. Right now, he's your friend. Through all your struggles, through all the things you go through in life, he's your friend. He came to you and saved you, and he remains with you forever because he's your friend. And he's seeking to continue to bring to you the power and the might of his salvation so that you might live in the security of the safety that is yours in Christ. Now, if you've never believed in Jesus Christ, whether you know it or not, Jesus is your friend too. And whether you know it or not, you're a sinner. It's just the way it works. In fact, you'll never fully enjoy his friendship until you recognize that you're a sinner. 
The Pharisees were sinners as well, but they didn't recognize the friendship of the Lord Jesus because they wanted to approach Jesus on equal terms. Actually, they wanted Jesus to be a little bit underneath them. They wanted to be the ones judging him. Who would do this, and how could he heal on the Sabbath? And he's not following the right rules and laws that we've been following to be righteous. And because they weren't willing to recognize their sin, they weren't able to draw near to the friend of sinners. Those who did finally recognize their sin found him, found him to be a friend true, and clung to him as well. He's your friend. You're a sinner, but he has a purpose for you. His purpose is to take you from your sins and to take your sins from you and to secure you away safe into his presence from all its harm. And it happens when you basically say, I believe in you. He basically says, do you believe this? You're a sinner, and I'm your friend. And I've come to rescue you from your sins. Do you believe this? And our salvation simply comes by saying, Jesus, I believe you can save me from sin's harm. I believe you've come to rescue me because you're my truest friend. I pledge my heart open to you in friendship. Live with me and abide with me. And he will. It's just something like that. Here's the final thing I just want us to see here. You know, we look at the world we live in. I had a number of opportunities to fret over these things yesterday. We look at the insanity of the world that we live in. We, we, we fret over its moral decay. My wife and I went to school in Portland, Oregon. I was driving throughout Portland all day yesterday. About every three or four blocks, there were tent cities and homeless people in a, a city that was just going down and ruined and people who were feeling virtuous, letting them tear their city down, but doing nothing more for them. Derelict sitting along the side of the road with, without any real true love, just the decay of a fallen world. And I engaged in some conversations that just underscored that over and over again. And we can get ourselves tied up in knots when we see the ethical demise of our nation and we see the sensibilities, the moral sensibilities of the people in our nation just corrupting and corroding and going away and we see with it the, the immediate decay that seems to just kind of come like a miasma rising up around us and, and come like this cloak of decay all over our world. As a result, we should want to keep ourselves unspotted from this world. And that's a good instinct. Lord, just keep me away. I don't want to even come near these. Things. It's so awful. And it's a good instinct to have, but it's not a completion of our mission. If we're to follow the example of our Lord Jesus... If we're to follow our Lord in his saving work who befriended us, it's going to lead us into friendship with the wrong kind of people. It's going to take us to people who are living in the wrong, sinners who need to find a friend in the Lord Jesus and find a friend in those who've understood their own sin and known that Jesus is the friend of sinners. The Bible tells us, by the way, that friendship with the world is to become an enemy of God. But the Bible also clearly teaches us that we're called to befriend lost sinners in this world and draw near them. It's exactly how Christ found us, and it's how he's going to find others through us, being their friends. So, you're kind of repulsed by the influence of sin in people's lives. You should be. There's a sense in which you're Fearfully, your first step is just inwardly a little draw backwards. And then there's a reminder, no, wait. Oh, this is where I was when Jesus took a step toward me. Let me be their friends. Let me be their friend. Let me draw near to them.
Let's pray. God, in the moment of our recognition of our own sinfulness and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. We have every sensible right to identify ourselves as Paul did, that Jesus has come to this world. This is a true and faithful saying that Jesus has come into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. We should see it. We didn't recognize how deeply and profoundly you were a friend to us as sinners until we came to you and believed in you. And then you showed us far deeper than we knew what you had rescued us from. And even now, as we progress in our walk with you, you unveil to us regularly new insights into the hidden depravity of our hearts. And yet you loved us and you found us and you saved us. Oh God, if you could befriend me. If you could befriend me. Such a friend to us. Jesus, broaden our hearts in love and make us friends to those so desperately in need of your saving work. And the Lord make you increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, our Father, at his coming, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. God bless you. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org. traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.